You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. We're talking about should you tell somebody they're an alcoholic? I've got Recovered Life contributor and coach, Haven Jobeck on the line. How you doing, Haven? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about this. That boundary of when should I say something? When should I keep my mouth shut? If I say something, will they leave me? If I don't say something, are they going to kill themselves? You know, where is my role? And when I see something, say something. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk with you about this because it is like there's a lot of people that ask this question, you know, because it is you you think at at, at at first glance, you're like, well, it's easy. Say something. The person's hurting themselves. But there is a lot of that kind of push-pull emotionally because, one, how do you even define if somebody is an alcoholic? Like, you might think somebody's an alcoholic, but it's really about what they think. The person who's drinking thinks if they're an alcoholic, that makes the difference. Absolutely. And so the definition of, like, a heavy drinker is something around the lines of more, like, more than seven to ten drinks a week. Right. And now there's other cultures, though, where they have football games every week and they'll drink that in a day. And that doesn't necessarily make them a hard drinker. And so the definition of having an issue with alcohol or food or drugs is that um, it is negatively impairing your life. And so I think that's something really big to look at because quantity is different for everybody. But how do you see it impairing who they want to be? And a great way to uh, analyze that or to like put it against, you know, a marker is, are you changing your goals based on your actions or are you changing your actions based on your goals? And so we see people that want to go to college and they want to graduate and they're failing. And so they put more study time in, they stop going out to bars. They are changing their actions to reach a goal. But then you see the, the person that has an issue with alcohol and they've decided that, you know, maybe a degree is not that important. And so they've changed their goals because they're not willing to let go of their behaviors. And that's just a really good way to like really quickly, like do an analysis of either your own life or somebody else that you're close to. I like that. I like how you put this about priorities and about, you know, when the priorities are around drinking, I think other people see it, right? Or hiding drinking or whatever that addiction is, right? Drug use, whatever. I like how you said, well, what is it, what's the most important at the end of the day? If that keeps rising up, that's a sign. You know, I think so many people, Haven, get so hung up on the amount that people are using or drinking or eating or whatever the addiction is. They get so hung up on that, they miss the actual main thing about addiction, which is what you said, it's reprioritizing in your life so that you can just do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How, how do you, you know, look, I know from my own personal experience, and I'm sure you had something similar. There were people in your life that saw the train wreck happening. They saw that, you know, they saw the, uh, you know, baby carriage being pushed across the train tracks and they wanted to step in, but they really just didn't know how, you know, I know there's stages in this. Can you, can you break that down a little bit? Like, when should you do this? Because I know it's such a, it's such a, it's difficult. It's a really personal, you know, it's a real personal decision for people. They don't want to hurt that friendship or relationship, but they feel that they kind of, oh, I, I think I need to do something or something's good, bad's going to happen. 
Absolutely. And so those are some good questions to ask ourselves before we approach someone. Like, am I the hero in this situation? Do I really think that I'm going to swoop in and save the day? Or is there just something on my conscience where I can't sit back and watch this person destroy their lives, in which case there needs to be a boundary? Like, what is my like ethical responsibility watching somebody? And so on a personal story, I... I think most people know I got sober when I was 15 and I stayed sober for eight and a half years. And then I relapsed and I relapsed for about six years. And in that six years, my mom pointed out, like, she didn't say you need to go back to AA. She didn't say you need to get sober. What she did say is if you continue on this path, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose these connections. Uh, You will drift off into like a nothingness of uh, life. And I didn't believe her. And she had told me that because I had skipped Thanksgiving dinner to hang out with a whole bunch of people. We were in a hotel room uh, drinking and doing drugs and it was fun, you know, and so I wanted to stay with the fun, but my mom didn't see it as fun for me. She saw me dropping away priorities, dropping away things that were once upon a time, like significant in my life. Because like you had said earlier, my priorities became drinking or getting high, whatever it was. And my mom pointed out, not that you're an alcoholic, but that you are losing all the things that once meant something to you. And so it was painful. And so if you are going to reach out to someone, and I think that the answer is almost always yes. Like, yes, you should say something, but when should you say it? And what should you say? Like, those are big questions. And so people are in um, stages of uh, change or stages of contemplation. And so there's pre-contemplation, which is that the person has absolutely no desire to change. You know, like maybe they like see like things aren't going right in their life, but there's no correlation for them at that time. Like I remember I got two DUIs and the cops were just so mean. It had nothing to do with me drinking. You know, like I did not see the correlation of my life like um, going into trash. It was that everybody else like was uh, just like picking on me. And I really felt that. Uh, Then it's contemplation, which is um, aware that they're it's a problem, um, but with uh, no commitment to action. So something along the lines of, yeah, I, I could see that. Like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't spend so much at the bar. Like, yeah, but there's absolutely no plans on doing anything different. Um, there's pre- preparation. And that's where people are starting to look into um, different programs to go to or starting to make a plan. Like, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. You know, and there's a preparation for actually deciding to change. There's action where you go into it. And so we see a lot of people into action. Um, People that are on uh, recovered life are into action. Uh, If you go to meetings, into action. If you're working with a coach, into action. And whether that works or not, I think that it takes a a combination of things or you want to find the right thing that works. Just because something didn't work the first time does not mean that your goals are not going to happen. And then there's maintenance. Like you and I, we are on maintenance. You know, the real quick, I want to go back yeah. before we talk about maintenance, because I want to jump into that, because I think that's in, that, you know, in recovered life, there's a lot of people, like you said, in maintenance. This whole idea, we've been talking about this a lot and on different different shows about the prelapse, mm. right? And I think we can almost break down what you said, too. And I think this might be really helpful for people who are listening that have loved ones in their life. They're not, you know, they don't have a problem with drugs and alcohol, but they have a family member, somebody close to them. It might be a spouse. It might be a, a son or daughter, right? It might be a parent. There's kind of two types: people who have don't really have a track record of trying to get sober. And then people who are kind of new to the whole process or have been in the process for a while, right? 
I think it is different. Like when we're in the maintenance mode, like you and I are talking, we're in the maintenance mode now. If I was in a 12-step meeting or knew somebody who was a in, in recovery and I saw this prelapse happening, I saw all the signs, I think I would be apt to say something because I already know that this person has come out and said that they're an alcoholic in recovery. Absolutely. And you guys are you, speaking you know what I mean? the same language. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love, I'd love you to get into that too. It's like, because it is two different categories, right? It's people who, it's people that maybe are not aware that they have an addiction problem. And then there's people that are aware that they have an addiction problem, but are ignoring the signs. Absolutely. So like you said, um, a prelapse is um, we're letting the stresses in our life uh, take us off the beam. Uh, we're letting the fact that our boss was in a bad mood, like put us into a bad mood. Like we are not emotionally stable. And then that stressor um, has us maybe lean on other chemicals. Like all of a sudden I'm smoking more cigarettes or I'm drinking more caffeine. Um, and then eventually I go back to my drug of choice, you know, which for me is all of them. And <laughs> I was about to list them out. I go, who am I kidding? Um, and so being able to see someone in a prelapse, like, do you approach them? And um, I'll say that, like, for me, before I relapsed, um, I don't think I would have believed anybody, but um, it I would have heard them. Uh, so if somebody has never been into AA and you say, I think that you're an alcoholic, they might have an image of a bum on a street that hasn't bathed in a month. And they say, like, how dare you? You know, like, how dare you perceive me as that? Like, I have a job. I have a home. And so if you come to someone and say, like, I think that drinking or whatever their substance is, is interfering with the goals I know you have for your life. Um that that's a better way to approach it because that's concrete evidence. Like for me, my mom said, Haven, I know you want to get married and I know you want to have kids, but if you continue on this life, you're going to get a 10 year prison term. And by the time you get out, it's going to be too late. And I heard that again, didn't call me an alcoholic, but she pointed out some definite concrete goals I had for my life. And she was pointing out that the way the track I was on was nowhere near the goals that I had. And now I could have been, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, you know, I want to mention that because I think that that is so important, Haven, because one of the things is with people who are just coming in to this whole recovery idea, just a tip out there for anybody who's listening, going up to somebody really hardcore and saying, you're an alcoholic, you're this, you're that, right, really is not effective. Because I think what a lot of people don't understand about alcoholism is alcoholism tells you you don't have alcoholism. So most of that, you know, and, point, and, yeah. and, and, you know, talking to somebody who is not, you know, who doesn't have an alcohol problem, they're baffled by that because if it was any other condition like diabetes and somebody was eating sugar, they'd go, oh yeah, I've had too much sugar. That's why I'm having these problems right now. They can identify that. But alcoholism, so much mental facility is taken up by telling yourself day to day, you don't have alcoholism, that if anyone approaches you like that hardcore, unless you're really ready, I find that to be really disastrous. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is they say that alcoholism is the only disease that you have to self-diagnose, where I have to see my own behaviors and say like, oh, I'm an alcoholic. I fit. I can't control the amount I take, or I can't uh, control the a period of sobriety that I have. You know, I plan to stay uh, sober, abstinent for a week and two days later I'm drinking again. Or I tell myself I'm going to have just one and then 10 beers later, I'm like, what happened? 
And so once I see that in my own behavior and I see how it's affecting my life, I can say, I'm an alcoholic. But now if I'm going to approach somebody that I care about, I'm not going to say you're an alcoholic. I'm going to say, I'm concerned. No, I'm concerned with the choices that you're making. I'm concerned about the money that you're spending. I'm concerned about the lack of time you're spending with your family. Like I'm concerned because that's not a place to argue. You can't say, no, you're not. You're not concerned. Like that's nothing, you know, there's nothing to argue with because it's my feelings. And so if I come to a person with a place of, I feel uh, there's less of an arguing and it's not quite as defensive. And so the difference between I feel versus you are. And so that's a big thing to avoid. Uh, Another thing is what are you hoping to gain from saying something? Are you hoping that they magically change their life around? Are you hoping that they'll be home more with you, that they don't spend all the family money on alcohol when it's supposed to go to groceries? Like, what are you hoping for? And this is where we talk about codependency. And this is where we talk about boundaries. Yeah. Well, the people, places, and things, when you approach people about alcoholism and drug addiction, it automatically becomes about everything else in their life. One of the things that I found that was interesting when I started doing a lot of service years ago in in 12-step groups, even is one of the things that I found is that new people that were coming in on court cards, you know, the courts would make them come in and they didn't necessarily want to A, admit that they were alcoholic and B, it was everybody else's problem, but they would be forced to interact or maybe would make a couple of friends and go out to fellowship afterwards. And I found that the people who approached them and said, yep, you're totally an alcoholic. Like, who are we kidding? Like, look at the crime scene. It's all over the place they would just turn away. But if you said, what do you think the issue is? And started to remove those people, places, and things, they they kind of came to it themselves. That's great. What a great question to have somebody start doing a self-analysis. Yeah, just come to themselves, you know, this approach. Let's talk about boundaries because that's one of the reasons why I want to do this, this segment, Haven, is because so many people are out there, they're suffering. And Look, let's dive into a little bit of codependency because codependents want to save alcoholics like alcoholics want to drink. So there's an issue there a lot of times with people who want to jump in and save the alcoholic. Let's jump into these boundaries. What's a good thing for people to do and not do in these situations? Well, the most important thing is to realize that nobody's going to be able to save somebody else. Um, no matter how much love I pour into somebody, no matter how much I say that I'm worried, none of that's going to change somebody. And so if I'm sharing it because I want to be transparent and then I actually can let it go, like that's fine. But if I think that the person is going to prove their love for me by hearing me and changing their ways, I'm going to be left disappointed over and over again. And another thing is for me personally, I've had so many tragedies in my life that I'm not willing to be close to somebody that is setting their world on fire. I don't want to sit back and just wait for them to either OD and die or like for another um, prison sentence. And so I start removing myself and I start with, it seems like (laughs) life isn't going so easy for you right now. And remind you, like I'm with low bottom people, you know, like they've already tried to get sober. They have, um, already been in the like uh, legal system. So there's been a lot of pre-contemplation, which in that sense, I would call it other forces like police and judges saying you need to get sober. And they're like, what? Like, no, that wasn't on my agenda. Um, But I let them know, like, I, 
I can help you. I will help you get into a treatment center. I will help you get into a detox. I will find a tribe for you that can hold you up and take you to meetings. Like I will put in that energy for you because I love you. And if they say no, then I go, okay, then we can't talk because I'm not willing to uh, have a front row seat to the train wreck. There's something about calling somebody an alcoholic where saying you do this or you do that, and it's going to immediately make somebody feel it defensive. Whereas if you say, I feel, you know, worried, I'm, I see you changing your priorities. Um, I know you want to be a good father, but yet you're out every night. You know, I am concerned people are going to be less resistant. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I think one of the, one of the things is, Haven, is that when, People don't understand the thinking of alcoholics. I think a lot of people who don't have drug and alcohol problems, so they see this. They see everything that's going on. They see the wreckage. Not so. Not necessarily so, right? It's all typically about people, places, and things. And there's so much mental energy with alcoholics trying to tell themselves they're not alcoholics and that there's no problem. Sometimes they don't see the obvious. And that's when you ask them, so what do you think the problem is? And then they can start doing their own analysis of their life instead of having somebody do it for them where they can just be resistant through the whole thing. So Haven, what do you do here? What do you, what do you, what does somebody do who's sitting listening to this and saying, you know, I, I have an alcoholic in my life. I, you know, things are clearly out of control and I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. Like, where do you, where do you start? Where do you start? Cause there's boundaries here. Obviously you don't want to be in a situation where you're around somebody who's an alcoholic 24 seven and there it's a train wreck all the time and you're getting drug into it. What's the first step? How do you, how do you start this process in telling somebody, Hey, you know what? You, you have a problem. Well, that's great. And it will depend very much on who that person is in your life. Um, I'm also a certified interventionist. Um, And so it might be reaching out to somebody that has the skills to actually help you with setting up and talking to somebody. And so that's one option. If you don't want it to be so uh, professional or like you might find that too serious and calling an intervention like we see on so many uh, TV shows, um, I would be prepared to point out the ways in which that person's drinking has negatively impacted your life, as well as ways that you've seen it impact their life. and. It's nothing they need to agree with, but you're just pointing it out. And then we talk about boundaries. What if you're not heard? What if they say, like, you're wrong, you know, or they get angry at you? Like, what do you do? And that's when we talk about codependency or having boundaries. And it is scary to have a loved one push you away because you're worried about them. It, it Very, very powerless. But the boundaries are important. And I know for me... I've had so many tragedies in my life that I will not stand by and watch somebody explode their life. It's too hard. And so at first I go and I find different meetings for them to go to. I find different detoxes. I see what I can do for like legitimate help, like hands-on help so that they can move from contemplation and into action. And if they're not willing to do that, my boundary is, okay, like I wish you the best of luck, but there's nothing I can do to help you. But the moment you want help, I am by your side and let me know what I can do. And that boundary is so important. I love that. You know, one of the things that you're saying 
And I want to just kind of end on this a little bit, Haven, because I think this is really important. I think you're talking about your intervention work. You're talking about what you're really talking about is providing a solution. I think a lot of a lot of times the reception of the person who is being intervened with, if you're talking with somebody in your life who has a drug and alcohol problem, is that it comes across as if they're nagging. It doesn't come across with a solution. And I know that there's a lot of people and, you know, I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago that was complaining about this and that about somebody in their life. And I said, you keep confronting them, but you never give them a solution. And I like what you said is that you said, hey, I'll take you to meetings. I'll hook you up with a therapist. I'll hook you up with a coach. I'll hook you up with a rehab, whatever you need to do, right? A solution for them really to stop. Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of people don't understand. They just see the wreckage. They don't understand that the person that's being intervened with too is actually scared. They're scared that they can't quit drinking as well. Change is scary. And especially when I am getting a benefit out of drinking, you know, I am filled with fear or I know that I'm not pleasing my boss. And so I have an escape. And there is a moment of time, a free fall, when you take away my solution to a hard life and you're left me with nothing except like exposed nerves and feelings. But the beauty is, is that sobriety does catch us and it bre- um, it develops real skills, lasting skills instead of like two to three hours of numbness. You know, now we have like real life skills to to live our best life. And ultimately you'll become closer with the people that um, you need to confront if they're able to grab on. Or you know that you've done your best and you're not going to be pulled down with them. And so either way, it's a win-win. Love it. Love it. Haven Joe Beck, thanks so much for coming on the line. And, you know, if you're struggling out there and you need help with this, somebody to guide you through, we're going to put links on how to get a hold of Haven so she can reach out to you and have that conversation. Haven, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Damon. Sometimes addiction recovery can be a lonely battle, but you don't have to fight it alone. At Recovered Life, we're dedicated to helping you live your best recovered life. And that's why we're inviting you to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Every week, we carefully curate exclusive content from leading minds in addiction recovery, mental health, and all things important to the recovery lifestyle. Stay in the know with the latest news about addiction and get exclusive invitations to special recovery-focused events and explore insights tailored to support recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, codependency, disordered eating, dysfunctional family dynamics, gambling, and so much more. With our newsletter, each week becomes an opportunity for growth, healing, and taking a step closer to the life you deserve. Take your first step towards a brighter future today. Go to recoveredlife.us and subscribe for free. Sign up now at recoveredlife.us.